Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. As you can see, I'm not here alone. I have uh, Pastor Jerry Witt, our next generation pastor, and uh, I asked him to, I don't think they care. Uh, I, I've asked him to come up here with us today. There's an announcement you see all the time, roughly three or four times a year for four or five years now, pre-COVID, we started yes. this, right? Um, and so you're used to seeing this. It's not anything new, but I wanted Jerry just to kind of introduce it to us afresh and understand what it is when you hear announcements about married people's night out. Jerry, tell us what and why. Okay. What is that all about? Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, we, uh, we, one of our core values at our church is Next Generation Matters Now. We believe one of the best things we can do to support the next generation is surround them with incredible marriages. And so we host a Married People Night Out event three to four times a year just to invest in people's marriages in our church. So many times. I think when we are married, when we get in trouble, we start looking for help. But we would like to prevent that, Randy. We'd like to start before we get in trouble in our marriage and uh, have these married event, night out events to help families and uh, come together and have a great time with some other couples who, who love Jesus, who want to raise their family uh, in a godly home and to have fun with them. And also to do a little bit of teaching and investing in their lives. And so I always tell people too, we love you to come to these events. And guys, it's a, it's a guy-friendly event too. So you guys can come and have a great time with it. But once again, our heart is just can to you invest de- in Can them. you define guy-friendly? Guy-friendly means we're not going to investigate our emotions a lot during that night. Um, <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not night. required to cry. Yeah, you'll have to. <laughs> okay. You can if you want to, but, you know, but it's, a, it's a fun night, and hopefully you'll get a, some nuggets of things that are help you in your marriage. Yeah, yeah, and we've got one coming up at the end of February. Yeah, February 24th. Would that be the, what, last Friday, last Saturday last of February? Last Saturday, February, okay. February 24th. It's $10, and we do child care uh, for up to fifth grade during the night, so it's an easy date night out, and, uh, and yeah, we eat with that and everything. So, yeah, it's a cheap date and a fun time, and so I actually want to encourage uh, the men in here, hey, go and register for your wife instead of them doing it for you. Why don't you go ahead and do it for them and go, hey, I have a great date for you. I lined it up already, and we're going to take care of all the details. All right. You don't have to worry about anything. You just got to show up. That's good. Y'all thank Jerry for making it yeah. easy. All righty. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. You want me to stay up here and just be your hype man during the sermon? See you, Jerry. And uh, (laughs) so every Sunday, Jerry's kind of outmanning our next step desk. He's right in the center there. If you have questions uh, a little bit more about that, go out there and ask him. Um, The reason I wanted to bring Jerry up today and have him just give what sounds like a simple announcement is is because I, I believe that you and I live in a world where there is very little that supports and encourages our marriage. That's not, that's not always been the case. That, that's a new place now. Uh, there's so much discouraging to our marriage that we need to go out of our way. That means it requires effort. It's not coming to you. We've got to go out of our way to find those people, those events, those things that are going to encourage and support our marriage. And, you know, you say, well, I, I went to the, the marriage series at church. Yeah, but I only do this every two or three years. I, I assure you, your marriage needs more than a shot in the arm every two or three years. So married people night out is something that goes on three or four times 
a year. That's a really easy and fun way to bring something into your marriage that is, is supportive and encouraging of that. So really encourage Even if you can't do the February 1, keep that on your radar. Be looking for that when we announce it. So uh, obviously I'm, I'm very sensitive to that because we're doing a marriage series right now and returning to that today. Gosh, I only got two messages into the series and we had to take a break already. Uh, last week we had a, an incredible service, a, a time of praise and worship as we celebrated and kind of wrapped up our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Really grateful to Pastor David Alori for putting those 21 days, putting that service together. It was, I thought last Sunday was just an, a phenomenal time. Uh, very, very grateful for that. So, uh, but today we're back. Today we're, we're back onto our series. If I was to sum up the first two weeks, I would do it with two words, marriage matters. Marriage matters. In the first week, we said that it matters because it's God's design. It's God's way for building an individual, building a family, building a society, and his way works. You know, the Bible doesn't command that you have to get married. No, No individual is told you have to be married. The Bible applauds, honors, respects the single life. But if you're somebody that is looking for love, the more romantic kind, uh, looking for sexual relationship, looking for a marriage-like relationship, well, God has a design for that. And that design is one man and one woman in the legal bonds of marriage. If you'll remember in that first message, we actually uh, pointed to a book, not a Christian book, not a Christian counselor. It was an economist, an economics book, compiling a lot of socioeconomic data. And they said profoundly, what works for a society is one man and one woman in the legal bond of marriage. And they actually apologized for saying that. Because in their culture, and their world, they don't say things like that. Well, why'd they say it? Because the data was just absolutely overwhelming. When we step outside of the design, just about everything measurable gets worse. Everything measurable begins to break. So marriage matters because it works. We've also said that marriage matters because it gives me, that relationship, a profound, a unique opportunity to grow in Christ's likeness and to experience his love. Now, truly, every relationship does that, from strangers and enemies to friends and family and everything in between. Every relationship gives me a chance to exercise, to practice being like Jesus. And you know, when you're being like Jesus and you get frustrated doing it, I hope you grow in your appreciation of what it's like for him to love you. That, that's what I meant by that, to experience his love. When I'm feeling what it's like to be him in a relationship, I, I get to experience what it's like that he loves me. We do that in all relationships. The, the uniqueness that marriage brings is it's the one relationship where we can't quit. I mean, every relationship affords me an opportunity to, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to back out here. I'm going to back out now, but, but not marriage. And why is that important? Because Jesus doesn't get to quit being Jesus. 
You and I need Jesus to be Jesus 24-7, 365, and never take a break from it. Marriage is a relationship that gives me that, that chance to practice like that. Now, these two statements I just made don't make marriage magical. (laughs) These two statements don't mean marriage can't be hard. What these two statements mean is that it's worth it. It's, It's worth the effort. It's worth the work. It's worth the cost to try to make that work. So today... We're going to kind of something that goes along with marriage. Next week, following weeks, we'll be back just with husband and wife. But today we're looking at at parenting. And we're saying something very similar. We're saying kids matter. Now, as I just said marriage, and now I'm, I'm, I'm saying parenting, I want, I want to take a time out. Okay, I just want to pause for a second. You know, I've, I've been doing Bible studies, marriage series, conferences, marriage and parenting for, for over 30 years now. And, and I know that when we're doing these things and we're presenting these ideas, it can be a lot of fun and really exciting if you're somewhere around page one. What, what do I mean by that? We're six months pregnant, been married for a year. Yeah, if, if you're at the beginning pages of that parenting, that marriage story, then messages like this are just, oh, you just think of opportunity and excitement and potential. But if you're a little deeper into the story, you know, a lot of these messages can be really hard. I, I mean, you can't help but think, well, I didn't have that opportunity or that person didn't allow us the opportunity. Or, gosh, I messed that up so bad. I wish I would have known. And you can walk through these messages and really be left in a bad spot. You, you can really be, you know, okay, I've got shame or guilt. Let's see, where do I want to sit now for the rest of my life? So I could, I, could, I probably should say this every message, but it's, it's not like I don't preach long enough, right? But here's just a reminder God and the gospel never leave you in a place of guilt and shame. No doubt, God can communicate some truths where we see, where we veered, where we messed up, where we broke some things. But God's story is never to leave you in a place where you just operate from guilt and shame. And we are, at the end of this series, the last message is going to be for people who aren't on page one and two of that story. They're somewhere deeper, and they've got some pages they'd like to rip out. Okay? Where where do you go then? Does God have something? When I can't fix that, I can't redo that. What then? Yes. Yes. So will you hold on with me? Hold hold on to God. Not shame and guilt. That's not where we end the story. So now we come back. uh, Timeout's over. (laughs) Back back to parenting. And uh, boy, folks, what we want to say today is that we're not having kids anymore. Do you realize that is headline news? That is bigger than any headline that COVID produced. That's bigger than any war going on right now. And you're not hearing anything about it, are you? We're not having kids. I'm not heading down a conspiracy road This is all fact. A lot of groups, a lot of institutions, a lot of governments are looking at this because it will lead to an economic disaster. It will lead to a massive worldwide collapse. 
because we're not producing enough people to support the world we've built. And what, what do I mean we're not having kids? Well, most, not a lot, not 51%, most Asian countries are now in population decline. You know, for, for years we heard about China's one-child policy, right? Forced abortions if you go over that one child. It, you don't hear this in the news a whole bunch. Did you know their law is now that you have to have two children? They can do that over there. They can make you do stuff. Two children. And, and I'll talk in a second. People aren't responding well to that. They're getting ready to change the law to make it three. Why? Because they see the total collapse and disaster that is coming from their policy. And you can't turn it around. When I, when I say population decline, we're not talking about, oh, we had less babies in 2023 than we had in 2022. Do you realize how long it takes to impact population growth or decline? About 80 to 100 years. If the whole world decided today, everybody make a baby, it'd take us 100 years to fix the direction and the trending that we're doing now. So let me finish the thought. Most Asian countries are in population decline. Most European countries are in population decline. Now, I know some of you are pulling out your eyes looking up growth right now, population growth, and you'll see, hey, we're still going to grow in the world. We're going to grow up to about the year 2100, and that's where we'll hit 11 billion. Don't be weirded out or scared of that number. There's a lot of lying going on. God built a planet that can handle it. He said, go multiply, and he didn't give a stopping point. So don't, don't worry about that, okay? But we'll get up to 11 billion. What, that's roughly two and a half billion more than we're at right now. So, so for the next 76, seven years, we're going to continue to grow worldwide population. Well, what You just said everybody was in decline. No, I didn't say everybody. Some, world, some nations are still growing, but do you know what the big issue is? you know what's really leading to our population growth right now? You know, there's two ways we, we grow, or two things that impact population. One is the front door, we call that birth, and the other is the back door, we call that death. Well, yes, birth is slowing down, but guess what else is slowing down? Death. We are living not months and a couple of years longer. We're living profoundly longer. Like we're seeing eight and nine and ten years being added all over the world. Not just where there's great health care. All over the world, eight, nine, and ten years. So fewer people are leaving Fewer are coming in, and by the way, uh, this is not an economic lesson, but here's where the collapse is coming. There's not going to be enough on this end to support this growing number on this end, and this is where nations are going to start having, are currently having their problems. So we're, we're just not having, now I haven't said anything about America, right? Okay, America's on its way. We're catching up. We're pedaling as fast as we can. We have, not, we have not entered population decline, but we're, we're on our way. What makes population decline? When a marriage goes below 2.1 kids, a marriage has to have 2.1 kids just to replace itself. Not, not for a nation to grow, not to keep it from declining, just to stay flat 
2.1 kids. I've never gotten a Christmas card with 2.1 kids in it. I don't know what the point one looks like, but it takes 2.1 to replace. America is rocketing below that 2.1. We've not yet gotten there, but we, we will. Again, the trend is clearly that way, and you can't turn it around o- overnight. You, you can't stop that. So we, we will get there. Other nations are not experiencing population decline, and America would fall into this. Our lack of babies may not show for a while because I don't know if you all have heard, but there's a little thing going on called immigration. Not even going to address that. Some 7 million people in the last couple of years, that's like two states worth of people have been added to our population that had nothing to do with making babies. Okay, so a nation can have a uh, a boost in population that doesn't result from the normal way that you get a boost in a population. So now the bigger question: I took all that time said, why, why is this happening? Well, measurable, we can see a drop in fertility rates. Uh, that 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 is a part of this, and so that's a whole other study to look and see why that is. The biggest thing, a little bit harder to measure, and yet not at all hard to measure, is we're not getting married, and we're not having kids. I held up a book a couple of, of weeks ago that may, was making that point about America. It's true all over the world. China, China's telling me, you got to have three kids. And you, 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 you've just told us for seven decades that kids aren't important. You see, you can't reverse that mentality. So, you know, we, hey, what do, we've got a world that says, and y'all hear me say this a lot, and it sounds like I'm just, oh, bad, selfish people. No, no, it's impacting and touching everything. Our worldview is there's nothing bigger and higher than me. My fulfillment, my happiness, my growth, my development, that's, that's what all of life is about. And more and more people are saying, you know, I'm not sure I need marriage or kids to be happy, marriage or kids to be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, it's much worse than that. We, we may actually be looking at a culture that is saying, I think marriage and kids are in the way. It's not just that I don't need them. No, they're actually in the way of my fulfillment and happiness. And so my job, our job is to sell them on how fun and easy it is to raise kids. <laughs> this is going to be hard to turn this ship around. Right? You know, it, it's interesting, and, I, and I've done some reading on this. I don't remember exact years and times and ways. but And this goes back to a less technological, more agrarian society. But kids used to be an asset. When, when a family had a baby, it was an asset. It literally meant that family had an increased chance of survival. So we don't talk much about survival anymore. We've got other things we can talk about because survival has been taken care of, right? But it used to be a child meant we, not just the child, we have a better chance of surviving. And at a very early age, that child would become a contributor to to the value and, and the product of that home. Well, that's changed. Children today are a liability, I'm not saying that to be funny, and I'm not saying that to be mean. It's, it's, an, it's just an economic reality, right? Children cost a lot, and they cost a lot for a lot longer. You know, again, I, don't, I can't take you to the year. 
I'm guessing if we went back 70 or 80 years, you would find normally when a kid turned 18, 19 years old, they were becoming independent. They were no longer dependent on the home. Well, that, that changed. What, what probably led to that change? The, the normalization of college. Now, people went to college before 70, 80 years ago, but it wasn't normal. Somewhere along the way, it became the norm to go to college. And because of that, whether a kid went to college or not, four more years got tacked on to parenting. And wow, those four years were going to cost way more than the first 18 all right, so now it's longer and it's more costly, and then we enter health care. How long can a kid stay on a policy? 26, we all know, don't we? 26 years now. I mean, folks, we're not talking about that long ago where you know, nobody would have been thinking that a 26-year-old was still dependent on provision for mom and dad. And, and this is a part of what we have to do to turn it around. You know, to get people to know how fun and easy it is to have kids. And it's not just money, is it? No, there's a lot more cost and a lot more weight to having kids. You know, Karen and I say it all the time. We had had four kids, two daughters, two sons, in that order. Our four kids totaled two cars. One of them that didn't total a car did almost drive her car. I'm not supposed to say he and her, so you can't figure out which kid I'm talking about, but one of our children almost drove her car into the neighborhood pool that uh, our, our, our family name, there, there was a number of years there where most everybody in the neighborhood knew who the Hans were. Uh, our four kids, like piranhas mostly, consuming, absolutely consuming, their moms consumed every night, consumed every weekend. I'm I'm probably being a little dramatic there, maybe exaggerating a little, but it sure felt like it. One of our precious little angels decided to uh, have a party when there was nobody home. And uh, I had already alerted this child, you can't can't have anybody over while while we're gone. And uh, in, in fairness to the child, I do believe they attempted to have just a few friends over, it got out of hand. Like one of those teenage movies that you watch and it became a, it was just a big deal. And uh, anger involved in that, oh yeah, embarrassment in front of our neighbors, again. Uh, as a matter of fact, that same child was involved in one of the totaling of cars that took out electricity on our entire side of the neighborhood. <laughs> And uh, the next morning, on our, our neighborhood has a Facebook. Everybody's, why is the electricity out? <laughs> no, I have no idea. No idea. But uh, so we, we came home, and nobody was home when we got home. It was late at night. And, like, you turn on the lights, and, like, okay, immediately we have a problem. I looked in. There's, we have a wood floor. There's all these steps 15,000 footsteps on our... And Karen was a little bit sharper knife in the drawer at this point than I was. She said, they've had a party. <laughs> to which I said, no, no, they haven't, because I said you can't have... 
I don't even have to wonder clearly if I said no, right? And uh, so a part of our, our punishment of said child was to, uh, to not only help clean up, we, they had to pay for several professional services and cleaning up, uh, replace some things, fix some things. And so, of course, uh, you know, friends, always a big question among friends, do your parents know? You know, so yeah, the parents know what happened. Well, I'm having to do all this. Well, some of the friends felt bad. They took up a collection. <laughs> and this angel of mine profited $300 <laughs> on my punishment. <laughs> and so at this point, the other three of our little angels got mad at me. Said I wasn't, I, I wasn't doing a good job because, you know, they're so good at disciplining, right? Which leads to another point. You know, 18, that's a wonderful age, isn't it? You know, for us, it was always around, for most of them, around summertime, right when they've graduated. It's kind of an enigma that summer, isn't it? I mean, on one hand, you're celebrating, you've come through this first really big chapter of, of parenting and, and, and childhood, but that corresponds. There's a day in which they wake up and they realize mom and dad are kind of stupid, and I know everything. And, and they begin to communicate that you're really not on top of things, mom and dad, where I know everything about. That always bothered me. Now, Karen was not this way. I, I was very much ready for all four of our kids to leave and go to college. <laughs> Usually a solid month before. I think with all four of my kids, I had a conversation. I'll take you today. You can stay in the library and you can eat out of the vending machine for all I care. We can go right now to college. Oh, it's fun, isn't it? And you know, most of what I've shared, I don't really think that's... We get over that. becomes funny one day. <laughs> I, 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 I think the bigger weight, the bigger cost we carry for it is probably regret. And does, does any parent actually get to the end of whatever that first stage of parenting is, 18, 20, 26, and say, man, nailed it! Oh man, I look back. At, you know, I, I wish I would have not responded in that way. I wish I would have not done that. I wish I would have been more of this. I wish I, we, I, we would have done more of that. And and boy, you, I, I know for some of you, it, that's hard to just shake off and dismiss. Oh well, you make mistakes. No, some of that you, you really kind of you carry with you. And this is what we're just to turn around now and tell a world that doesn't even want to have kids, hey, come get a piece of this action. <laughs> and yet, folks, with everything I've just said, those four kids are the most satisfying thing in my and our lives. Whatever I have gained as an individual, grown as an individual, been happy, trips, whatever, I'd give every bit of that back to keep the four kids. The joy and pride, not just now, I loved every minute of them in our home. The joy and pride of, of watching them grow, of being a part of that, and, and now to watch them and grow and live in, the, in their own marriages, raising their kids, that's, 
a little bit of revenge is kind of fun. <laughs> watching them raise their own kids, watching them work. You know, as a, a pastor dad, watching them love and serve in the church, and I didn't even tell them to. I can't make them do that anymore. And they just choose to do that. I, I can't. Most satisfying thing in life. I am confident. The best, Karen would say the best, Karen and I would say the best thing about us is our, our four kids. And are there moments? Yeah, there's moments. But it's, it's the most satisfying thing that there is. Do, do you know why that is? Because that's the way God made it. We need to value children. I want to be clear about something. I don't think this group needs to be challenged or corrected about that. I I want to be clear. I I don't believe you here in this room watching online, boy, y'all just don't know the value of kids, so load up because I'm getting ready to tell you. No, I, I actually believe that across this room there is a very high value of children. But when you and I have beliefs and values, we got them, but we have voices, a multitude of voices. The majority of voices now, every single day, saying something different. It it doesn't mean I'm going to lose my beliefs or lose my values. It means I've got to work so much harder to stay laser focused on what I value and what I believe. And our, our nation, our world, does not value children. Uh, let me give you one word, abortion. And no, I'm not getting ready to talk about whether abortion is right or wrong. I'm not getting ready to talk about how we need to vote and what we need to do about abortion. I, I, I'm not making any statement about abortion other than the reality of its existence. And with abortion, we have basically reduced what is in the womb to nothing more than a medical condition. And if I want the child, then that means I go down this road of medical conditions. If I don't want the child, then I go down this road of medical conditions. Do you see? The child's not the issue. It's just what road I want to go down. It's my choice. And we have a word like this around, well, now for five decades Guess what? It's not just no longer about making a decision about children. It creates a value. A child is not a value. It's just a medical decision. It's a medical decision I make mostly on whether I want to deal with this or not. And, And we wonder, will that have any impact on our view of children? It has a profound impact on our view of children. And so I've got to be very focused now. Because this is in the news every day. It's a word thrown at us today. It it entirely shapes the political arena. It shapes and defines every candidate. So we can't escape it. It's constantly on us and around us. So I've got to get focused. And well, what is our focus? Well, it's it's God's view of a child. Well, what, what is God's view of a child? I go to all kinds of verses. Let me go to one. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. Now, I think America does recognize some value once you exit the womb. I want you to notice that God takes it back to the womb. And that's not the only verse that does that. Over and over, the Bible says, 
into the womb. That's the fruit of that, the product of that. The womb is a reward. Both of those words, heritage and reward, communicate something of great value, something that you want, right? It'd be like, okay, hey, do you want a million dollars? Right now, I don't know. I just had a million dollars, and I don't have time to go to the bank right now. Could, maybe later. No, no, no. Yes, sign me up for that. Did you know that that's what those words are communicating about a child? That there's not a scenario where you say, no, not right now. This is not really good. This is not really what I want. God's view is that they are a heritage. That word literally kind of points to an inheritance. Okay, so, so what is a child? What's God's view of a child? It's that they're a valuable gift from the Lord. They, they're his, and he's giving them to us. And we're to value them. Now, that line, folks, they're a valuable gift from the Lord. Do you know how profound that is to everyday parenting? That's home base. No, no pun intended. That's what you go back and tag. That's what you touch when, they're, when you're pulling your hair out. When you're frustrated, when you're tired, when you're angry, when you don't know what to do, when you're broken, because parenting will break you. When you're broken, you go back and touch that statement. What I'm dealing with here is of incredible value. It comes from someone of incredible value. So everything this is costing me is worth it. There's a value here. Now, here's the crazy thing. We take even right and good things and make a mess out of them, right? Okay, here's a value. Kids are the great worth. And here's the wrong thing we do with that. Child-centered parenting. We make, we make the child the center of everything, their happiness, their well-being, their fulfillment. By the way, this is not that, that I don't want my child to be happy, that I don't want my child to be fulfilled. No, I did. I believe God does. It's just not the purpose. The purpose is not how fulfilled and good. Because, see, if all I do is raise them to think that they're the center, they're going to join a world that also thinks it's the center of the universe. So I will not have trained them. The, the goal is not, I want you to be happy, and I want you to be a professional athlete, and I want you to graduate from school, and, and, and then I'm done. Being a professional athlete and getting graduated is not the goal. It's a part of a process, but it's, it's not the goal. You know, I'm always leery. Sometimes preachers say, that's not the thing, and it's usually because they think it's not the thing. And I'll tell you something. We're all about grades at our house. I, you know, I, I hate to say this, but... A little bit of a tiger mom. Uh, just throw that out there. No, I, hey, right or wrong, too much or not enough, we were very much about grades at our house. You were expected to make grades. You were expected to go to college. You were expected to succeed at that. that there was never a question with that. We made that a big deal, okay? Two of my four kids, my two sons, went to school as Division I scholar athletes. Clearly, they didn't have that because we'd never thought about athletics. No, we spent a lot of time on education. We spent a lot of time on athletics. And you know what? Your kids can end up in places where you look at those two things and think, wow, that just really doesn't matter at all. They're important and they're a part of a process, but they're not the thing. 
We, we can't center it on their well-being, their happiness, and their success. Well, what, what, what is it all about then? What am I to, to center parenting on? Well, folks, God has an answer. God never leaves us not knowing what to do. And in simple sentences, and sometimes we run right by them and don't realize all that's there. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, and that word used, is used there in what, what would be referred to or called a governmental head. In other words, it's not just referring to dads. It's not just about fathers. It's moms and dads. Both of you, both parents, don't provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? It means creating an environment where they're frustrated and confused because you you laughed at them yesterday for doing this and today you spanked them for doing the same thing. You see, we don't parent out of our moods. We don't parent out of what we feel about our boss. We don't parent from our emptiness and weakness. A lot of parenting is for when they're good, it makes me good. When they look good, I can be proud of myself and I can tell myself I'm something. That's not what we parent from. We don't parent from making them the center of everything. No child can carry that weight. And we end up raising, well, a worldview that we have right now. I'm the center of everything. I'm the source of truth. I'm the source of right and wrong. Where did that come from? Parenting. What am I supposed to be focused on? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me marry Psalm 127, 3 and Ephesians 6, 4 for you. Parents, these kids came from the Lord. And our job, our one job, the main thing is to point them back to him. You, you receive them from the Lord and you point them back to the Lord. That's all your job is. What, what do we do to point them to the Lord? You just drop them off at church. So a little news flash here. The church is not, you're not helping the church reach your kids. The church is helping you reach your kids. We are to raise them and train them in the Lord. How do we do that? With everyday life, with whatever it throws at you. You know, I think, I think a lot of us have probably tried to use situation, situations in our kids' lives to train them, okay? They're dealing with a, a bully, they're dealing with failed grades, they're dealing with disappointment, and, and you know, I'm going to show them a verse in the Bible, I'm going to pray with them, I'm going to tell them how God wants them, and that's all good. Do that, please, on every issue in their lives. But a lot of that time ends up coming out like a lecture, doesn't it? You know when they'll really tune in? is when your life is the illustration. You know, when I, I, I say earlier, I, re, I regret things, and I'm not, I'm not certainly not even coming close to going to talk to you about the things I regret as a dad. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of them. I, I wish I'd have done more of this. I am probably like a lot of dads. I just, to my kids, I want to be seen as always having the answer. I want to be seen as strong. I want to seen as I can handle it. I, I don't have any problems. But if that's all I model for them, if that's all I showed them, then all I trained them to do was be a person who has all the answers, never has problems, never needs help. And guess what? They're going to need help, and I haven't trained them what to do. 
And what if, what if I would have used a lot more of what's going on in my life? And age appropriate, right? Okay, if I'm about to lose the house, I don't think you go home and dump that on a four-year-old. But age appropriate. Hey, let me tell you what I'm going through right now. You know, I've got a decision, and honestly, I've been thinking and praying about it, and I, st- I don't have a clue. I don't, I don't know what to do. Hey, here's a place I'm a little nervous, afraid, anxious, whatever word you want to use. And here's a situation I'm, I'm dealing with at work. Do you know why I want to share that? Because they're going to be in those situations, and now's my opportunity to train them for that. And the, and the training isn't, here's how I fixed it. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm trying to use God's word, but I'll be honest with you, I'm still struggling with that. I I don't know if I need to call the pastor and ask him, where is this in the Bible? You know, I'm trying to pray about this, but honestly, I've run out of words. I don't know how to pray. I don't know if I'm not praying the right prayer. I don't, maybe get somebody else to pray. Or how about this one? Hey, when I go to church, I've got some friends and I've got some guys I'm, I'm going to share this with. I'm going to tell them. See, I'm training them. But what a lot of us have done, what I did, is I trained them to think, I don't, I don't need anybody. So what do we do? We come to church, the place where we help each other, and nobody in here needs anything. Because that's how we were all trained. I got all the answers. I don't have any needs. I, I don't have any prayer requests. I mean, I'll pray for my neighbor. I'll pray for somebody I barely know. But I have no real needs going on. Why? Because I was trained. You don't show that. I haven't prepared them for when they reach those places. What if I would have shown them, hey, here's how you dig into God's word until you get the answer. Here's how you pray until until you realize, hey, it's not all my words. The Holy Spirit picks up my words and makes them sound right. Here's, Here's how I built godly relationships in my life. So when those times happened, the relationships are already there. See, a lot of us enter these times and we got no relationships. You can't build them overnight, can you? You either have what you need in a church when you hit that moment or you don't. You see, I got to build all that in the good times. I got to build all that when I don't feel any needs, when I, I don't need any help because the need is coming. See, you know the beauty of all this, by the way, folks? I never go through anything in life. This is the idea. I would never go through anything in life, good, well, that's not the hard part, right? Good, bad, or ugly. I don't go through anything in life that doesn't have purpose because it all gives me a chance to train a child what it looks like to believe in God and to walk with God and to hold on to God through all these different things. Everything has meaning. Everything has purpose. Because that's how God designs things. You know, again, I I think if you're right in the middle of it right now and, and it's so easy to, hey, would you just give me two points that I can go home and make my child make good grades Make my child o- obey. G- give me three things and out pops the perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, those two points, three points don't exist. Not that makes a perfect child pop out. But uh, while I haven't maybe given some of those practical, go home and do this. If the main thing is right, it starts to answer a lot of questions down the road. And if the main thing is not in place, what's the main thing? What's the assignment? Point them back to God. 
Point them back to God. If the main thing is not in place, then not only does 2 through 47 get out of alignment, but I've got no direction in how to put that back together. Now, where do you go with this with adult children? Uh, Hang on, please. We'll get there. (laughs) Okay, we're going to get there. Do you understand what the assignment is? If you say, honestly, I understand what you're saying, but I don't even know what I would do next. What are you going to do next? Can I just say this? The The answer can't be nothing. Loving, praying, influencing adult kids down to we're having a baby in six months. The answer can't be I'm going to do nothing to find out and understand and what I do in the assignment. And what a glorious assignment. See, here's how today is not actually about parenting. It's about marriage. I love my wife. And I love the empty nest years. I found them to be wonderful. <laughs> but I don't think there's any place I feel more one with Karen. And boy, did, if we, gosh, all of our disagreements were almost on kids. And yet there's almost nowhere that I feel more one with her than we watch the lives of our children. God's design. God's design. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your design. I, th- I thank you for all that is there to guide us and lead us. I'm sorry that overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with myself, overwhelmed with the busyness of my life, I can stray, we can stray so far from your design, not pick up the design, not work with design, and, and Lord, I'm, I'm not just talking about marriage and parenting right now. I'm talking about everything. There's no place in life you've left us without structure. You've left us without a target. You've left us without a way to get to the target. God, may we pursue the target. And may we realize how important all the people in this room are to helping me get to that target. God, I, we acknowledge in my creation, I need the church. Not a building, not a sign out front. I need the people in this room to do anything. I, we need the people in this room. By your design. Oh God, give us a heart and a passion for pursuing it. Help us to walk in it and help us to help each other walk in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.